This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, the tape machine is rolling. Brand new episode, Talking Buffalo Podcast, episode 228. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen. Download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. Got a five-topic Friday today. This is something that I've been doing a little bit here and there. Eventually, it's going to be, well, my goal anyway, is to have five-topic Friday on every Friday show. Tuesday will be. A straight interview show, whereas Friday will be Five Topic Friday. Certainly, that's going to be the case today. Before that, though, I got two things right off the top here that I want to hit on. First, a programming note. Next week on the podcast, Tuesday and Friday, it's going to be a two-parter. I got Buffalo Bills beat writer for the Buffalo News, Jay Skirsky. He's going to join me. And next week's all about the state of the Buffalo Bills. Tuesday, we're going to do offense. Friday, we're going to do special teams and, of course, defense. And we're just going to break down the team position by position, in some cases, player by player. And Jay, who obviously covers the team for a living, very equipped to do so, is going to offer his analysis, his takes on a bunch of players, the position as a whole, what he considers the strengths of this team, what he's worried about with this football team, where he thinks they deserve to rank amongst the NFL as we get ready for training camp. Really good stuff with one of my favorites, Jay Skursky. So again, that's next Tuesday and next Friday on the podcast. Look out for that. And then before I jump into Five Topic Friday today, I got to send, and this is a very serious tone here, big prayers up to Dick Gallagher. Dick Gallagher is an icon, a legend, the GOAT when it comes to Western New York high school sports. And if you live in the community, if you follow high school sports, if you've played them in the last 30, 40 years, you probably know who Dick Gallagher is. He started Western New York High School Sports Magazine all the way back in 1983. I was like 12 years old. And I still remember like yesterday reading that pretty much every single week. Had a very big influence on my life. And uh, so he ran that all the way until 2010. And then since then, he joined WGRZ-TV and he was helping them promote their high school sports. Again, he's just a a pillar in the community and a legend. He's a member of the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, deservedly so. That was all the way back in uh, 2003. Again, just a guy who's really shined the light on Western New York high school sports and athletes, bigger and brighter than anyone else before or since him. Uh, Dick's been battling cancer for a while now. 
And unfortunately, it's gotten worse, and now he's been moved to hospice at Roswell. Obviously, that's not good. So again, my thoughts, my prayers are with him, with his family. Dick Gallagher, just again, just, I mean, what more can you say? An icon in Western New York. So prayers up to Dick Gallagher. As for today, Five Topic Friday, I got a debut in Mike Straw with me. Mike's a guy that I've known for a while now. In fact, going back almost a decade or so, I had a blog and he was a college kid at the time writing, a contributing writer for the blog. And frankly, was not very good. I think he'll be the first one to tell you that. In fact, I'm sure we'll talk about that on the segment. But since then, he's become a very good writer. Today, he's managing editor of Sports Gaming Online. Very good website. I watch their YouTube channel, see a lot of videos. I'm not much of a gamer, but it's still interesting stuff. Mike's very well-versed when it comes to sports, and especially Buffalo sports, obviously, Bill Sabres High School. He still does do some high school stuff. So anyway, he's a good guy to have on for a five-topic Friday. Hopefully, I'll have him on for many more in the future as well. Uh, today, quite obviously, we'll be talking plenty of Buffalo Sabres. It's, it's going to be jam-packed with Sabres stuff. How could it not be after everything that went down this week? So we'll be talking about Kevin Adams being in, Jason Botcherill being out. We'll talk about the Bagulas press conference. That's one of the topics. We'll talk about this team being yet again a rebuilding team, even though the owners don't want to admit that. And we'll also talk, of course, some Buffalo Bills. It is, you know, I had on Tuesday show Steve Mathis from Buffalo Fanatics, and um, I don't like much talking about the Bills when there's not a lot going on. But we're getting to that point where it's time to start talking about the Buffalo Bills. So we'll do that at least a little bit today. I ran a poll where I asked fans to vote for what position or what thing about this team is most worrisome. I'll discuss those results with Mike. And then Sean McDermott had his last press conference before training camp in July. We'll put a bow on that as well. So really good stuff. Again, with the debut in Mike Straw, not going to waste any more time here at the top. I want to get down to it right now. So here it is. Five Topic Friday featuring Mike Straw. All right, I'm joined right now by Mike Straw, managing editor at Sports Gamers Online, plenty active as well on the Buffalo sports scene. Mike Straw, making your debut on this podcast. What's going on, buddy? I know, you save it for over 200 episodes and you finally got the best guest you'll ever have. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what they all say, dude. Maybe not the most liked you'll ever have, <laughs> but the best. I'll tell you what, right off the bat, one of the better sounding guests that I've had. You got your shit together, man. I can see you're mic'd up here. You sound good. You're not on a crappy cell phone connection or anything like that. So if nothing else, you're going to at least sound professional today. Exactly. The benefit of coming from radio and doing my own media work, it just, you get all the equipment, you know, stocked up over the years. <laughs> so I got a pretty packed episode today. I'm not going to spend too much time here bannering at the top. But again, this is your first time doing this podcast with me. I kind of want to give listeners at least a little bit of insight about you, like for starters, at Sports Gamers Online, what do you do there? I run the day-to-day -day operations of the site. We are a platform dedicated to sports video games. Uh, we're planning on growing to cover sports and gaming, but that's in the future. But yeah, daily videos, news reporting, articles, features, you name it, we cover it on that aspect. Left sports full-time to go do this, but it's a lot less stressful than covering the day-to-day -day 
runnings of Buffalo sports at this point. Well, I'm going to tell you what, and I'll get into this more specifically in a second. I've known you for a while. And again, we'll talk about that in a minute because of writing purposes. I've noticed you on Twitter, follow you on Twitter. And I've been looking for somebody to do some segments with more specifically a five topic Friday. So because of what you do now, now I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not really much of a gamer. In fact, I'm not a gamer at all, but I did go to your YouTube channel. I wanted to check out your voice and how you do interviews and stuff like that. So I did watch a handful of those videos and uh, I was definitely very impressed. Obviously, I have you on the show with me right now. Now, you're also, besides that, you're former managing editor of the Hockey Writers. You're currently a reporter at Western New York Athletics covering high school sports. I'll tell you what, man. God, I miss Western New York high school sports. Love them. Miss them greatly. And this is what I was alluding to. This is a fun fact for everyone out there. Many moons ago, you were actually a contributing writer for me when I had my Buffalo Sports Daily blog that I had started back. I think it was like in around 2009, something like that. Yeah. Like, ah, the memories, yeah. man. <laughs> and it was bad coming across some of that old stuff recently. I don't know why anybody gave me a shot after that. I don't know why I didn't flunk out of school. <laughs> Reading some of the stuff I wrote. Thank God I got better, man. Well, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a process. You know what? You got to start somewhere, though, man. It, yeah, no exactly. matter whether it's writing, whether it's radio, television, whatever it is, you got to learn. You know, you got to make your mistakes. And I think that's pretty common for anybody. I, I think whether you're uh, an established radio personality or a uh, veteran sports writer, or even for an example, me with this podcast right now, I'm about 220 something episodes in. And to this day, and it's only been like two and a half years ago, I'll go back to some of my earlier episodes that I did and how I sounded, the microphone I was using, uh, the way it was produced. And, and I cringe. God damn. But I'm glad I did because by doing some of those early episodes and kind of finding my way, you learn from your mistakes. You know what I mean? And then you get better at your craft. Clearly, you've been able to, to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I even go, I've been with SGO almost four years now and listening to, I'll go back and listen to my first voiceovers, my first videos, my first interviews with them even, and they were bad. And looking back now or going to something I just did last week, it's night, night and day. And the, the, the work just, it's cliche, but keeping at something over and over is the only way to get better. And I'm proof of it. You're proof of it. Hundreds of other people we know our proof. Yeah, for sure. Now, before we get started again, pretty packed episode today. Got a lot of stuff I want to hit on for these five topics, but I got to ask you, I'm obviously in Florida. You're in Western New York right now. How are things going in the 716? Not specifically talking about all the social unrest and even COVID, but just how the vibe is right now in Buffalo. I know some things are starting to open up, seeing people very excited about it. You know, so you're in Buffalo. I'm in this freaking cesspool called Florida <laughs> right now. How are things up there? It's nice to see people out and about and talking to each other again. One of the things with this city that I've always loved, again, it sounds cliche, is just how how well we people interact with one another, how in certain areas and in certain situations, people are friendly with one another. And during the whole thing, it was just silent. We had become a ghost town. And it's nice going out and seeing people actually talk to each other and say hello and not be really afraid to have a conversation with someone else anymore. 
Like I said, man, so five topic Friday here, packed with a lot of Sabres stuff because of everything that they didn't went do anything, down. Did they? Uh, did a little something. So we got heavy Sabres, a couple Bills things too. But with the Sabres, I'll tell you what, before we actually jump in the water here, I, I kind of want to. I want to set the mood for how I feel about this organization right now. And I think it's one that uh, many can relate to if either you're a Sabres fanatic or if you're an old school wrestling fan. Now, I know you're a big wrestling fan, right? Huge. Okay. Uh, well, then you'll more than un- I like to admit. <laughs> well, then you'll understand this. Okay. Now, I am older than you, so I'm going an era probably before you. But I kind of compare the Buffalo Sabres right now to... Old school 1980s WWF. And here's what I mean. All right. So when I was a kid, I looked forward uh, Saturday mornings all week long because at that time, this was before Monday Night Raw, WWF in the 80s was on in the mornings, on Saturday mornings into the early afternoon. Just like Sabres fans, you know, you count down the minutes all day long till the puck drops at night because you're excited about this team. You can't wait for the next game. That's how I felt as a kid about WWF wrestling on Saturdays. And I would buy literally every wrestling magazine and I could convince my mother to give me money for every month. Uh, I would hit the same newsstand. I grew up on the West side and there was a little newsstand on the corner of Hurdle Avenue and Delaware Avenue. I would ride my bike all the way from the West side. I'd go to that newsstand and I would pick up as many magazines as I could because there still was no internet. And there weren't really TV shows dedicated to wrestling, stuff like that. So that's where you had to get all your content. You know, just like Sabres fans, man. You you have your eyes glued on any piece of content that you could as well. I had my wrestlers growing up that I idolized. Sabres fans, obviously, you know, they have their heroes as well. Point being, it was fun and it was something to look forward to. And you fast forward to today. And like on the wrestling side, Vince McMahon is basically shitting on WWE fans at this point. At least I think so anyway. And now you got the Pagulas who are pretty much shitting all over Buffalo Sabres fans. You know, the That's fr- an understatement. Yeah. You know, the, the such French, an understatement. It is. You got the French Connection years. You got the the uh, Patty LaFontaine years, the Danny Briere years, the, the world's best goaltender, uh, fiery head coach and Lindy Ruff. Just great excitement. Being a Sabres fan was fun. Today, being a Buffalo Sabres fan feels pretty soulless, man, pretty lifeless. And the organization, it just sucks the life right out of you, man. I, I mean, I barely even care anymore. And just like, you know, I've been a WWE fan my whole life. I barely care to watch it on Monday nights anymore. In fact, there's some Monday nights I forget that Raw is even on. That's how disconnected I've become. I feel that same way about the Sabres, except for when something big happens that pisses me off like this. You understand what I'm saying with this comparison? A hundred percent. And I couldn't agree more. I think this might be a reason. And this is why my dad raised me to root for the Maple Leafs. What? Uh, one, because the Sabres weren't a thing when he was a kid. So he grew up with the Maple Leafs. Huh. And two, he wanted, I guess, to see a team win every now and then. I don't know. But I'm kind of, as the years go on with the Sabres, I'm more and more relieved that that happened. Um, but yeah, WWE can't, can't agree more. But the Sabres, it got to the point where, oh, the Sabres played tonight. Oh, they lost. Okay. Yeah. You just you didn't know until the game was over that they had a game. I'll tell you, they have a franchise center. They have a couple electrifying players. 
and I haven't cared. And this isn't about me and how I feel about the Sabres, whatever. I get it. But point being is I just became so disconnected to this team recently. Yeah, I'm down here in Florida and I used to watch all the games, man. I went to the Amelie Arena the first couple of times the Sabres were here. I just, for the most part, I stopped caring. And, and again, it's because I a lot of it has to do, not even with the team on the ice, but the organizational aspect of it is what really has me as disenfranchised as I am right now, which kind of leads to topic one here. So Jason Bottrell's fired and Kevin Adams is in. And as we dive into this, I, I think Mike Schultz from WGR said it best. The Sabres fired a general manager that went 88 and 151, yet they still made it depressing, meaning we were waiting forever for the GM to get fired. A couple of weeks ago, he's not fired. Now he is. It should have been an exciting day in a way on Tuesday. And I kind of left that press conference watching it feeling depressed. You know, do you agree with that? Because people, again, myself included, wanted Jason Bottrell gone for quite a while. I made it very obvious. I said it many times on this show. Yet, Tuesday, that happens. And I kind of felt demoralized still at the end. You know what I'm saying? Do you agree? If I could have, if I can put everything in one word on how that happened, it'd be weird. Like, I agree that Botterill should have been fired because, especially if we're talking about results, because that 88 and 151, the team didn't get any better under him. They got slightly better players. They replaced Evander Kane with uh, Skinner, but they didn't really get better in any sort of way. But, and it got to the point that I admittedly was excited when Botterill got on board. I thought this would be the GM to lead this team into the future. He was going to be here a decade plus, whatever it may be. But then it got to the point where I was questioning him more than I ever did Tim Murray. And I was on the daily beat when Tim Murray was GM of this team. And then two weeks ago or three weeks ago, he's deemed safe. And then all this happens. And my first thought is what did happen to lead to this? Like my guess is it's nothing hockey related because obviously nothing happened. So I have a theory. I don't know if it's a accurate theory or if it's just a crazy one, how maybe he just didn't agree to want to take because of financials with this ownership kind of scaring everybody with that. He didn't want to take a pay cut. So they rather than give him, have him keep him on at full salary, they just decide to let him go. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense the more I think about it, but that's the only logical reason I can think of why something changes so quickly in such a short period of time with nothing happening. Yeah, well, there's a point to be made in that, and there's absolutely no question at all that money is at the root of what happened, not just with Bottrell, but I mean the entire department around him. They wanted to slash a lot of jobs, and Bottrell, they want to lose scouts, and stuff like that. So I'm sure that's part of what changed. I mean, again, you said it. The firing should not be criticized. I mean, he, the guy arrived here in 2017, and at the time, the Sabres were 26 in the NHL upon his arrival. They were 25th in the NHL this year before COVID shut the season down. Well, they didn't shut the season down for 24 teams, but they shut the season down for the Sabres because they couldn't be one of the best 24 teams in the NHL this year. So, God. And, and by the way, that 25th in the league this year is actually the best of his three seasons as a Buffalo GM. I really don't think we need to debate on the merits of him getting fired. We could spend an entire hour talking about reasons why he deserved to. And I've done that on the show several times. But again, what's really eye catching or, you know, 
what surprised everyone the most is just a couple of weeks ago, Kim Bagula literally told Associated Press, told John Worrell that Bacharel would be back for fourth season. And they even went forward with him having a Zoom press conference that day. And I remember that because I was pissed off. I was really pissed off that day when they announced that he was going to be back. And I remember talking to a couple of Sabres beat writers and they were like, well, why is everyone surprised? This was the expected outcome all along. So the expectation was that he was going to return. Ownership says that he's going to return. And then a couple of weeks later, bam, he's gone. In fact, I'm going to read you the exact quote. Uh, Kim Magula said, he's our GM. Our plan is to continue with him. I realize maybe it's not popular with the fans, but we have to do the things that we feel are right. We have a little bit more information than maybe a fan does, some inner workings that we see some positives in. More on, by the way, her condescending fan comment shortly. So he's out. Now Kevin Adams is in. He's the Sabres' fourth general manager since Terry Bagula took over nine seasons ago. He's been in the organization in variety roles for many years now, but he's never been a GM before. And Terry Bagula said during the press conference that they didn't even conduct a search. So what are your initial thoughts on Kevin Adams taking over as general manager? So I don't like using the term puppet or pawn often to describe someone's role in an organization, but that's kind of immediately hearing we didn't conduct a search. Mm -hmm. That's all this feels like to me. A no-name type of, in terms of management, we all know the type of hockey player he was and his roles as like a player development and coach and stuff like that. People know who Kevin Adams is. When it comes to management, he's a no-name that won't question ownership and but it also it gives me the feeling that this is the best they can do considering all the circumstances one the the shutdown of the league and two with everything going on in the optics who would really want to come into this mess do they really think they can get a legitimate search done with this mess of an organization at this point yeah and i got to the thinking i'm like i feel like at more at times there was more structured 18 years ago when the league owned this team than there has been in the last almost decade since Pagula bought him. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about Kevin Adams too much from a hockey perspective and his qualifications and his intelligence level, because to be completely honest with you and everyone listening, I'm not qualified to do that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to stay away from that. The one thing this does reek of is him being a yes man. Whereas I think Bacharo was clearly getting a little more, I don't want to say combative with ownership, but he wanted things done his way. The Bagulas wanted things done their way and there was no compromise there. And the Bagulas are going to have their things done their way. Kind of feels to me, my first thought is Kevin Adams is going to do the things the way that the Bagulas want them done. Whereas Bacharo was not willing to do that. I think ultimately that might be the biggest reason why things change so much in the last three weeks with them. But yeah, man, I, the guy, the guy who won a cup and he's a Buffalo guy. In fact, didn't even say that during the press conference. He's a Buffalo guy, or he might've even said that himself. Yeah. He, I don't know. You got, I, I'm shocked. I, I, maybe he said it and maybe I've just become numb to hearing it. I was waiting for the term blue collar to come out because that's what everybody who gets a job right. for an organization, the city does. <laughs> All right, let's switch topics here. So the Bagulas finally speak, uh, kind of wish they didn't, <laughs> in a way, I said on Twitter, I said on Twitter, you know, you do the uh, tired and wired 
I said, Wired is fans wanting to hear from the Bagulas for months. I said, Tired is fans actually hearing from the Bagulas after months. It was like, you got to give them credit in a way because it's like they managed to still piss off fans despite firing the guy who had everyone had been calling for. So what are your thoughts on the whole for Terry and, and Kim talking what felt like an incredibly uncomfortable press conference or if that's what you want to call it again i'm going to use the term i used earlier it felt weird everything about it was awkward and as you said uncomfortable and you you made the perfect post on twitter and it's true constantly we hear from from media from fans we need to hear the owners talk about what's going on we don't hear enough from them but every time they call or they come out and they talk to somebody they always end up doing more harm than good and putting their foot right into their mouths and doing more damage from a publicity standpoint that at this point, they're better off just being the silent owners, no matter what. Don't come out and say a thing because you're not going to make anything better. You're going to make everything 10 times worse than what it would have been 24 hours ago had you just kept your mouth shut. I'll tell you this. I agree with you 100% for the record. I think this this lends even more credibility to the fact that I think they truly, and they're not going to, not anytime soon anyway, they need to hire a legitimate director of hockey operations. If they had that, even if they made this move this week, you would have been hearing from that person. It would have been more about hockey as opposed to hearing from them. But then you have, and then you have them to to piggyback up that point. I think it was uh, Adam Benini asked that question and Pagul Terry goes, well, I don't believe in that philosophy. Yeah. I don't know if he just doesn't get it or if something's not all right. <laughs> but well, at this point, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Like, I don't know what either of them are doing. And Kim is a whole nother story, which I know we'll touch on. It's becoming on, but... to me, Mike, increasingly obvious that these are owners who want to be heard. And by that, I don't, I'm not talking about getting in front of the media for a press conference. In fact, they both quite hate that. And that's very obvious. But they want, you know, Ralph Wilson, when he was the owner for the Bills, for all the wonderful things that he did, most importantly, keeping the, making sure the team would stay in Buffalo after his death. And he doesn't, just, he doesn't get enough credit for that. But anyway, Ralph Wilson, when he was alive, was known very much as a meddling owner. And it pissed a lot of the organization off. Going all the way back to the, the miracle throwback game in Houston, you know, or Tennessee, I'm sorry. Yeah, he yeah. he's the reason why Rob Johnson was the quarterback and not Doug Flutie. Several players have said that. I remember having a conversation with Eric Moles. I did an interview with him, yeah. and he flat out said that. That's the way Ralph Wilson was. He had a lot of influence on who was drafted, who was signed. Now, granted, you are the owner, so by law, not law, but you know you have the ability to really do what you want to do. But that's what exactly. I'm starting to feel. I'm starting to feel that way when it comes to the Bagulas. And I'm not talking about again. I'm not talking about with the media, but I'm talking about inside those walls of that team. They want to make the calls. And I think that's the biggest reason why, not even because of money. I think that's why they don't want a true, legitimate, like, team president, well, besides Kit Bagula. Yeah, and I'll touch on on that in a, in a bit, on my thoughts, because I, I agree with you on a lot of it. The Ralph thing with, with Flutie and Johnson, I think Flutie even flat out said it, and Wade Phillips during Doug Flutie's uh, a football life, um, not uh, last year for NFL, NFL Films. So, yeah. It's not surprising. It just seems like this city is attracted to owners 
that just want their fingerprints on everything. Well, I'll tell you what, I mentioned Kim Magula in March when she was talking about, you know, kind of a, a condescending comment towards fans, maybe not intentional, but she did it again this week. She says, and I quote, there has been some progress made, even some that maybe the fan base doesn't see. That to me is Kim Bagula doubling down on the fans, not seeing shit after just saying that a month ago. I almost kind of respect her for having that attitude in a way. You know what I mean? I get it because she's got her stance and she's firm on it. But every time she talks, it sends a clear signal to me, at least that she has this shit. Don't stink attitude. And, and, and no matter what she says, people, you people just won't understand it. And it's like, no shit. The fans don't see anything, everything. They're not there every day, but it doesn't mean the optics of what's clearly a messy situation with this team aren't visible to everyone. No matter what sort of progress you want to want to say can be seen internally, any of that progress needs to actually be seen by the fans or they're going to question every little thing. If no progress is being made to them, of course they're going to be pissed at what's going on because it looks like nothing's going on and you're a dysfunctional joke. Yeah, well, by the way, for the record, I was completely joking. I absolutely loathe Kim Bagula for those comments that she's made about the fans now <laughs> twice and for lots of other reasons too. So. Yeah. <laughs> so communication is apparently an issue. It was with Murray. It was with Dan Blisma between them two. Uh, I know it feels like an eternity ago with them two. And you said you were on the beat at that time, but that's only a couple of years ago, man. I'll tell you what, I want to play a clip from Die by the Blade. They have a podcast earlier this week. Chad D. Dominicis, Anthony Chandra, they, they do a really good job. I'm going to play that clip. I thought this was pretty telling, and then I want to get your reaction from it afterwards. So here's that clip. John Warrow just tweeted, it's becoming more clear that the decision to fire Botterill was part of a large series of cost-cutting moves the Sabres have embarked upon to ease the bottom line of a franchise that's going to sit idle through potentially January. Now, this is the same John Warrow that has basically been the Pagula's mouthpiece since they bought the Bills, you know what I mean, yeah, maybe before yeah. that. And all he's done is, is, you know, kind of giving them softball. So him coming out and saying this is, I think that's relevant to me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to deny this is not money related. I mean, I mean, like I said before, they were on heck about the hockey things before that, but apparently they were going to look through that. And then like to have the audacity, like for me during this media call to just like say it was communication, communication, communication was the issue. Like, dude, that wasn't the issue. That's you, man. And it's also you if that's right. the issue. Yeah. Right. If you have if everybody you hire has communication issues, maybe you have the communication issue. Right. Like, me, you like, met an asshole in the morning, you met an asshole. If you meet an <laughs> asshole in the morning, at noon, and in the evening, you're the asshole. Yeah. Mike, that's a good point, man, because it kind of I say this a lot to my son. Like, if you have a problem with this person. Maybe he's an asshole. If you have a problem with this person, he's an if you have a problem with enough people, then maybe you're the asshole. You know what I'm saying? It, it kind of is yeah. like that. There's a lot of communication issues now with different head coaches, different GMs, different people in different roles, some players on the team. Maybe it's you. I honestly didn't think it can get much worse than what it was under Murray and Bausma. Because um, I, I seen it, the arguments, I, I heard stories. Uh, of them not, of Murray wanting different players to be played, Bilesma having his own ideas and them not getting along. And, but this between ownership and Bottrell, 
what's coming out about what he believes in contracts and just overall communication between levels of management. They say they're on an even level. They're a flat organization. Get out of here with that. No organization is a flat organization, no matter what you try and spoon feed the people who are willing to listen to it. But I've never seen, uh, and Ralph Kruger is completely out of this because I don't know much enough about his input. I have a feeling it's going to get a lot higher and he's going to have a lot more say going forward. But from Botterill to Pagula, it just seemed like anything Botterill wanted to do, Pagula had an idea against it. No matter what was done or said, Pagula had his own ideas. Both Pagulas, I should say. And it's kind of, Chad put it best and you put it best. The, the asshole comment is something that I didn't think of until hearing it. And it makes complete sense. Because fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times. Well, you're an asshole, I guess. And <laughs> it's, this is GM number three in six years. Again, at this point, it, it's you. It's not me. It's it's you, Terry. Stay away, Kim. Stay away, please. Even best, and, even best case scenario, Mike. The best thing you could say about the Bagulas is they have an inability to find the right people for the job, and that's if you're being as nice as possible. I'm going to wrap this topic up specifically. I want to read two paragraphs from a column that Mike Harrington wrote in the Buffalo News. Now, I get it. A lot of people. Some people love Mike. Some people hate Mike. I agree with all of you for the record. Mike's my guy and I can't stand him once in a while. I get all that. But one thing you have to say, dude is not afraid to ask the hard questions. He's not afraid to write what he's going to write and then go in that locker room or whatever and face the music after. So that's why I read a lot of his shit on here because he's not afraid to take accountability for what he writes. And this is what he wrote regarding the Bagulas. And I want to read this. He says, Kim Bagula has long been over her head as team president. The success with the Bull, I'm sorry, the success with the Bills is because they got lucky finding first timers Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. No one should have any faith in her. Many fired coaches, general managers, or front office executives privately rip her once out the door as the number one problem in the organization. That's really telling, by the way. She declined to comment on that assertion when it was presented to her Tuesday. Her flip-flop on Botrell's status is the latest example that you can't trust the word she says. And she even doubled down on the famous inner workings line Tuesday when she said, as Terry said, there have been some progress made that maybe the fan base or you guys don't see, but we don't think that this is a rebuild. Memo to the team president, stop talking down to your fan base. Honestly, talking down to your fan base is the least of any of that that's concerning to me. The fact that front office executives and GMs and coaches have ripped her as the number one problem upon leaving privately. That says an awful lot. And I didn't even realize that until I just read that right now. Do, do you think that the inner workings that we don't see is just the work being done to their yacht with all the money they're saving? It could be, man. It's getting hard. I don't know what it is right now. I can tell you the inner workings aren't getting their businesses back up and running in downtown Buffalo anytime soon. I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, those. That that's a I can spend an hour on those, but I won't. <laughs> Me too. But she said something about we don't think this is a rebuild. That's the next topic. The Sabres are in a rebuild right now, even though they're denying it. And again, she said, We don't think this is a rebuild. We have a great foundation to build from. Two hours later, after saying that, because we only talked about 
the easy parts, by the way. We're going to talk about Jason Bottrell being fired right now. Two hours after that, several more got fired, relieved of their duties. Chris Taylor, the Amherst coach. Ryan Janikowski, the director of amateur scouting. The Amherst GM. Sexton got fired. Bunch of DMs. Bunch of scouts. Player personnel development. Like 20 people ended up getting fired. That, to me, is just insane. So why didn't that happen during the press conference? They did this two hours later. Makes no sense to me. You know what I mean? Maybe they wanted to officially get Kevin on the job because apparently he made all the calls. Let's talk about a first gig. Hey, congrats. You're a GM of one of 31 NHL teams. Fire half the the staff. Complete bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I the only dismissal that confused the hell out of me, because again, I don't know much about the scouts. I don't talk to the scouts. I, I, I agree that the scouts should have been canned a hundred percent. A clean house is needed when things like this keep happening with this roster and who you bring in. But I don't get the firing of Chris Taylor team was set to make the playoffs again. Sure, they haven't won a series under him, but each year they've gotten better. He gets the he's gotten the most out of his players, and he's going to be a damn good coach somewhere. He's not gonna by the time the next AHL season or NHL season starts later this year, like December, guarantee you he's behind the bench somewhere, um, and he'll be on a short list of head coaches. Yeah, he's been the one that's probably. Uh... Buffalo media people that I've talked to have criticized more than any others. And sure, you can make a case again, this in a way should be a happy thing. You cleaned house. That's basically what the Sabres just did. And it doesn't feel good though, because it's hard to have faith in them that they're going to do the right thing. And again, pointing the money. And this is clearly also business. These are business decisions right now that we're seeing. They're not going to probably hire anybody for the next couple months, at least. And are they going to replace all these people? Are they going to drastically cut down this department from, let's just say, you know, 21 people down to nine? You could see something like that happening as well. And again, the Bagula is just constantly meddling with this team right now is not a good thing. In fact, you know what? I got another clip for you that I want to play. This is from uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman. Talking about the Bagulas being involved in, with Darcy Regeer. I'll just play the clip and I'll get your reaction after. Here's that clip. You have Terry Bagula saying not only we had too many differences of opinion with Jason Botterill, but also uh, saying we felt we weren't being heard. This very much sounds to me like this is going to be the Pagulas with a couple of hands on the steering wheel here. They will be making the decisions from now on. Thank you very much. Would that be fair? Well, I think they always have. I think yes, but I think they always have. Like, I remember when Darcy Regeer took over, or or they took over under Darcy Regeer, one of the things that I know Regeer felt was that there was a lot more interference from ownership than he was used to. When he was hired, the Sabres were like a model organization And they said, the general manager runs the team and we trust you to run the team. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, like most organizations do. But I know he felt that the Pagulas were incredibly involved, more so than he was used to. What are your thoughts on that? And again, it's somebody else who's hearing from sources and stuff that these owners just, they're not getting it right, man. 
I'm not against, you mentioned it earlier, like when you're an owner of a team, I have no problem if you want a say in what's going on. It's your organization. Not against that. But what's the point of hiring someone to do a job when you don't even let them try and do the damn job? They, they, I don't get it. And I guess in my mind, the writing should have been on the wall six years ago when Pat LaFontaine just up and quit. Yeah. Out of nowhere. With no warning, no rhyme or reason, just like, yeah, I don't need to work with you people. And I'm gone. When that happened, one of the greatest players in this organization's history uh, just decided, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want, I'm done with you. We all should have just went, something's not right here with these Pagulas running this team. But no, we stuck around six more years, and now this is where we're at, where we're finally starting to realize how much of a joke things really are with, with this organization. I think it's important to say that if this team were to start winning, I think a lot of people would not give a shit about what kind of person Terry and Kim are, how they're running their operation. Wins are what matters. And that's what ultimately this comes down to. Like I said, they're denying this is a rebuild, but it absolutely feels like one. Nick Filipowski, a former Channel 4 sportscaster, he's out of the business for now. He had a tweet that I want to read because I thought it was pretty telling. He goes, I get Ralph Kruger as a head coach, and I think he's a great guy. But how many players in the organization or outside of it look at the Sabres at any level and think, I want to play there. The Sabres aren't one or two players away from being good. They're an entire roster away, in my opinion. That's what Nick said. I don't completely agree because I think there are a handful of really good core players here on this team. Agreed. But having said that, I also think he's right because this is not a team that could add one or maybe two more players at the most to this roster and be good. That's a team that needs to rebuild. Do you agree with that? I don't think a full rebuild, but I think a monster. I think there's close to a full rebuild without being in a full rebuild. Uh, Ralph Kruger will, in my opinion, based on the type of person he's had. Now, I've had two conversations with him. Um, and in my opinion, he's just the type of guy and what players have said. They actually really like playing for so he may lure some people that you don't expect to come to the organization to play for them, just to play for him and play with Jack. Now, the rebuild, I think, isn't necessarily with the roster, because there are some pieces. It's with the scouting department that built that roster. So I guess you can kind of say, hey, Mike, why doesn't that mean the roster too? Because a lot of these people are from a lot of the players right now are from outside the organization, very few homegrown talent. And that's where they need to fix immediately. Um, they blew up. We talked about them blowing things up with the scouts, but, and they got rid of nearly everyone on the developmental level. But for some reason, they didn't get rid of Kevin Devine, who's been there since at this point, it feels like since the Sabres became an organization. And I don't know what dirt he has on the on the team, what he knows or what he'll risk saying, but it's got to be something for him to survive all of these over the past decade plus while helping find no true top-level players or even top-six players through the draft, which is what he's there for. He's run the draft. He heads that scouting. And aside from the guaranteed hits like Rasmus Dahlin and Jack Eichel, who you were taking them no matter what, who, what has he really done? Yeah, I agree. I'll tell you what, with Kevin Adams, we spent a lot of time talking Sabres. 
I can't remember the last time a general manager who was so new felt like such an afterthought because of all this other shit that's going on. In a way, I feel bad for him because I think that fan feelings towards this organization, if they're not rock bottom, they're right there at rock bottom. So this guy, through no fault of his own, by the way, he faces a lot of monumental challenges right now in building relationships between first uh, first and foremost fans, but beyond that, um, because his team is just a a disaster and they're perceived as a disaster around the league. I'm positive of that. He's got a tough job building relationships with, with agents and general managers around the league because, you know, it's a very, it's going to be a very difficult selling point right now to get a good free agent to come to Buffalo, probably harder now than it's been in quite a while. Now, I know you talked about Kruger and there might be some guys out there who would like to play for him, but you got to admit, man, you look at his organization from top to bottom, you're a free agent that's going to be sitting out there. Who the hell knows how this season is going to play out or the off season, but at some point you're going to be a free agent. You're out there. If you have any offers from any other teams, why would you want to come to Buffalo? The only thing I can think of is they want a one-year like prove-it deal and the Sabres would give it to them. That's the Sabres only would give them $5 million for one year where they can say, all right, I'll go in, I'll play well, and then I'll cash in elsewhere because I'm not staying here long-term. Absolutely. Or if they're just going to flat out overpay like crazy. It reminds me of back in the day with the Bills. The only type of free agent the Bills were ever going to get is a guy who no one else wanted, a cast-off, or a guy who you were going to pay so much more money than anyone else. Like when Mario Williams came to the Bills, he came to the Bills because they literally emptied the vault. Derek Dockery came to the Bills because they gave him $49 million over seven years. Or in some cases, guys came to the Bills because no one else wanted them. They were cast off. I kind of feel like the Sabres are in that boat right now. Yep. Agreed. And they're going to be in that boat for a while. And again, through no fault of his own, I feel terrible for Kevin Adams. I saw people on Twitter saying, well, if he if this is such a bothersome, why do you take the job or agree to roll, move up? You don't turn down a spot to become a general manager, one of the like a, a leader in management of a professional sports team. Some of the rarest jobs in the world. You don't turn that down because if you come in and somehow you turn this ship around, you are going to get paid. And if you don't turn the ship around, you have that out of saying, well, look at the organization I was put in charge of and you'll get another chance elsewhere. If you quit and say, nah, 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 owners in other area teams are likely going to look at that and going, okay, maybe he's not. And we know how much this means in hockey for some reason. Maybe he's not loyal or whatever it may be. So him keeping this job and taking it isn't a problem to me. I feel terrible for him because he is work cut out for him. But who knows? The Sabres might luck into this like they did with McBean on the Bills. Realistically, if, if you're a Sabres fan right now, that is realistically the best that you could hope for is that they look into Kevin Adams being the right guy and that things will turn around. Last Sabres point I want to make here, and then we'll move on. I got a couple Bills things to finish off the podcast. The Athletic, John Vogel put up a poll asking fans to rate their faith in the Bagulas on a scale of zero to three. Obviously, zero being the lowest, three being the highest. Over 2,700 people voted. Dude, 88 0.7% of those fan voters gave uh, the Sabres faith in Bagula either a zero or one. That is 
I'm talking, you're talking barely 11% of Sabres fans right now have literally any faith at all in Terry and Kim. And it just sucks because it feels like an eternity ago when not only was his team pretty good, but more importantly than that, at least from a fun standpoint, fans liked this organization. They didn't always have to be one of the better teams in the NHL, but they were at least fun and fans liked them. Fans don't even like the Sabres right now or for the last couple of years. It's sad. I I remember, I mean, obviously you remember, everybody listening remembers the days of being on the waiting list for season tickets. Yep. But we're now at a point where you can go, aside from Montreal and Toronto games, because that's how season ticket holders make their money. We were at the point where you can go to almost every game in a season for an average of about 10 bucks a ticket. We're lower than the Bills' lowest low. And the Bills won 17 years. And I think we're at a point from at least every year with the Bills, it was, well, maybe this year they do something. And less teams make the playoffs in the NFL. But I I feel like we're at a point where fans are more down and more depressed about the Sabres than at any point during that 17-year drought with the Bills. Yeah. All right, so I got two Bills topics to finish up. There's not a lot going on in terms of news. In fact, there's nothing going on in terms of news, but that'll be changing pretty soon. It's getting to be close to that time of year. So one topic I have here is I put up a poll on Twitter asking fans what their biggest worry was about this team heading into 2020. And the four categories were CB2 alongside Trey White, the death at linebacker, uh, quarterback two, Matt Barkley should Josh Allen go down. And Josh Allen, the last choice being Josh Allen, has already hit his ceiling. Results, completely expected. Almost 50% of the fans. And it wasn't a very big sample size, to be honest. But anyway, they said Josh Allen not progressing would win. I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll go there first. Let me get your thoughts on that. Like, how big of a concern is it to you? I'm not asking you if he doesn't progress. Because, obviously, if he doesn't progress, they're not going to be as good as they could be. Are you concerned though that he has hit a ceiling and that if he has an improvement in year three, it'll be a very small increment? So I'm asking you basically, do you think he's already come close to reaching the ceiling of how good he's going to be? He's just going to be an inconsistent but fun quarterback? Or do you think he's going to be much more matured and improved all around in 2020? I think year three, I, I don't, I'm not too worried. And I think that's because he now has a no, true grant. John Brown and Cole Beasley were fine, but now he has a wide receiver that you can throw anywhere and you can trust him. So he's going to improve just by having that. I'm not concerned just because of seeing what he did over the, I think it was the last 10 regular season games last year, 21, t- 21 touchdowns, two turnovers. And, and if that's, if that is the pace for, for 2020, then good because he's already surpassed that ceiling that people thought he might have hit. I don't, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about a Trubisky wall. And, and this is coming. And people can go back and search my tweets because people like to dig up old tweets. I am the one of the biggest anti Josh Allen people uh, around this organization. I didn't like the pick. I still don't like the pick. I am willing to give it a chance, but I will criticize everything and anything but I don't think he's hit a ceiling. I'm not concerned about him hitting it. I don't think, I think now though, 
this is his – obviously he has to prove it. He has every weapon a quarterback could have imagined. I'm going to bring up a couple of things that I discussed on my podcast earlier this week in regards to that. First and foremost, I've always thought that it was, I don't want to say a bad thing, but I always found it interesting that the way this football team is built with a tough-nosed, defensive-minded coach like Sean McDermott and a team that really wants to control the football, that you would have a quarterback like Josh Allen who, for all intents and purposes, I, I still feel he has a He's a gunslinger in a way. He's a street football player. Is that mentality? He makes some plays that just absolutely blow your mind. Kind of like a Brett Favre in a way. And I'm not comparing him to Brett, but I'm just yeah, saying. but that. I get it. Kind of like he can make those plays. And then on the very next play, he'll do the stupidest freaking thing to piss you the hell off. <laughs> so I've always found it interesting that that was their pick. And I'll tell you, I'm not, I agree with you for the most part. I do think he's going to get at least somewhat better. I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think he'll be a little more consistent, which given the talent around him, maybe that's all he needs to be is a little more consistent. But you do have to worry about ugly things coming back to the forefront, rearing its ugly head. Like in that playoff game against Houston, he had moments where he was good, but he also had a couple critical fumbles and a couple dumb decisions, frankly. And those are the things that kind of plague him. Those fumbles are big. I think he had like 14 fumbles or some shit like that. Last year. So that's yeah. a concern. But overall, I agree with you, man. I'm not that concerned. Linebacker depth only matters if Edmonds or Milano go down. If one of them go down, they're in trouble. I'm not overly worried about the cornerback depth because I don't like Josh Norman at all. In fact, I think that was the worst or oh, the second worst move that they did this offseason. I don't like that signing. I get why. I know he's a McDermott guy and I know he's fantastic in Carolina, but that was in 2015. Dude's 32 years old. But they do have gains. They do have Wallace. So between one of those three, hopefully you can get even just competent quarterback play. That'd be good enough. The one thing, and this is what I want to spend a few minutes talking about this with you, that I am most concerned about, or I think the Bills dropped the ball. If Josh, you've built this team and everyone on paper is saying the Buffalo Bills are the favorites to win the AFC East right now and have an opportunity to win 11 games, make a nice playoff run. I agree with all that, but here's the deal, bro. And week two, Josh Allen, God forbid, breaks his leg or something. That ain't the case anymore. I don't think Matt no. Barkley is capable of being much more than a 500 quarterback at best. And I think the Bills really dropped the ball this offseason. And I'm not that kind of guy who usually likes to go out and try to sign big names. But you got Jameis Winston out there for a long period of time. Andy Dalton was out there. Those are guys that you could have brought in and they were cheap. Not even like they cost money. Jameis Winston cost like one point one million. Dalton was like maybe five at the most. These are two guys that if Josh Allen got hurt early in the season, that you could have—I don't want to say you pick up right where you left off—but these are two guys that have won in the league, who have played well as a starter at least at times. So far better than Matt Barkley, that's for sure. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the Bills. This was the year. If you're a win now team, and I do think the Bills are a win now team. You have an opportunity to get a better QB too, because that doesn't happen every year. But this year it was out there and they didn't take advantage of it. So that does worry me. I don't know about you. I I, I could be worried. I'm of the mindset that, sh that for some reason they have such faith in Matt Barkley um, based on how, how he's still for some reason around. Like you talked about, they didn't go out and get anybody. They have so much faith in Matt Barkley that they're not concerned. For some reason, my mind goes, 
tra- camp opens or week two goes happens. Allen goes down, breaks your leg. Like you said, I personally don't think Cam Newton will be signed by them. And this is a pipe dream type of thing of like best case scenario. Should Josh Allen get hurt? Cam Newton's still out uh, on the market and he comes in because it's a chance to start for a team that's going to make the playoffs for a coach that he knows. And it's, it's one of those, that's kind of where I think is going to happen. I also could see it coming in. It's like, hey, we just need a backup for this year. Maybe he comes in before camp. It really wouldn't surprise me, no matter what, uh, if they decided, even if they sent out feelers and he's turned them down. But Matt Barkley, I think, could come in and they could still win nine games with him. Josh Allen is your chance to win 13 games. Matt Barkley's nine games at best, and that's hoping that Singletary doesn't fumble and Zach Moss comes in and dominates the way many are hoping that he does as a rookie running back because it's going to be the running game that wins should Allen go down. Well, I'll tell you, man, I don't hate Matt Barkley, okay? There's worse quarterbacks, there's worse QB2s in the NFL than Matt Barkley. But with just an influx of so many young quarterbacks coming into the league and so many quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers switching teams, that this was a rare year where established starting quarterbacks in the NFL were available in free agency for literally pennies on the dollar. And I get Matt Barkley being a good presence in the room, and I know why the Bills like him so much. He's very close to Josh Allen. That's well known. But I just don't feel comfortable. I don't know if I agree about him being a nine-win quarterback. Certainly possible. But I feel like Jameis Winston, and I know he's throwing a million interceptions, but I still think he's a hell of a lot better than Matt Barkley. In terms of Cam Newton, by the way, you could be right, but the Bills would have to be very lucky because that injury to Josh Allen would have to come before an injury to another starter in the league. And also, last thing too, the Bills are not alone in this. There's a lot of good teams right now who have high expectations for this season. And if their quarterback goes down in week one, say goodbye to those expectations. Look no further than in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All this tailing around. When is the Tom Brady goes down in week one? Then what? Season over. And right. Exactly. And he's in his 40s. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I just I, I just feel like this was a good opportunity for the Bills to do something better than that. Because Jake Fromm's not going to be the QB2. Not this year, anyway. I just don't love Matt Barkley. Hopefully, this is not a discussion we ever have to have again because it doesn't happen. But it could. You know? So. Yeah, there's always that what if. And I'll just say, if the Bills need somebody on developing quarterbacks, I happen to develop the best seventh-round quarterbacks in Madden, so they can always call me. <laughs> Last topic here. So Sean McDermott spoke to the media on Wednesday. Last time he's going to do that before training camp. Pretty standard, typical Sean McDermott stuff. Vanilla bland, not by accident. He spoke of protocols with COVID, uh, not being able to have OTAs and mini camps physically. Same for the other teams, yada, 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 yada. But he did speak of discipline and staying disciplined during these times, which it's a take that I liked. I fully agreed with it. In fact, I'm going to play that clip right now. I'll come back to you for a quick take on it. Here it is. I think, you know, again, it goes back to, it's a key word here, discipline. You know, you go back and you say, hey, early on, we were very disciplined, right? You know, in our our house, are are we staying disciplined? It's easy to to lose that, that, that element as you go through day after day. It's easy to start that way, right? But who can do it? Who can remain disciplined? No different than, than workouts, right? Why do, why do uh, New Year's resolutions fail, right? 
because it's easy to start, but who can see it through? And that takes discipline. And that's sometimes what helps separate uh, some individuals and some teams from others. I'll tell you what, for Sean McDermott's standards, having that New Year's uh, resolution pun in there, I like that. That was a pretty strong take. Yeah, yeah. Him, like you said, he's usually a very vanilla. That's the most personality I think we'll ever get out of uh, a McDermott. And I'm okay with that because if he coaches and if he is our Bill Belichick in, in this organization, I don't care what he says. I don't care what he doesn't say. Go out there, coach, win games, do what you got to do, win championships, hopefully. You can do whatever you want. Because, again, it comes down to winning matters, and this organization has done that, which is weird to say, but for the last three years. You know, I'll tell you what, Mike. I've grown up, and I'm not particularly proud of it, but very skeptical when it comes to the sports teams that I love, or at least the Buffalo sports teams that I love. I, I grew up a Yankees fan, and obviously they won a ton of world championships. So I've been very spoiled in that regards, but the Knicks, I grew up loving the Knicks, obviously the bills <laughs> and the Sabres. Okay. The Sabres and the Knicks, I really don't, you know, as bad as the Sabres are, they're not as bad as the Knicks, which is pretty goddamn pathetic. I but don't know. I might rather have Dolan as my owner at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm no. a Knicks fan too. So I, it cringe. If you could have seen my face when I said that, yeah, I, I like couldn't even, by myself saying it. Like, <laughs> but, you know, so anyway, growing up a Bills fan, man, and again, I'm not really proud of it per se, but I just was let down so many times from them sucking and being good, losing the Super Bowls and going 17 years. I, I've just been trained to have low expectations of this team. And uh, so I'm not a homer. It's basically, the, the long-winded thing I'm getting in here is I'm hardly accused of being a homer when it comes to Bill's talk. Having said that, this organization right now with McDermott and being leaning the way, I can't remember, and you have to definitely go back to the Super Bowl years for sure, that I've been more confident and had more faith in a coach GM tandem than I do right now. I love Sean McDermott as a head coach. I think he is 100% absolutely spot on perfect as the Bills head coach. He is everything they need on the field, off the field, character driven. People have literally bought into the culture of the Buffalo Bills, something that's very badly lacking across town with the Sabres. I'm just, I feel like Bills fans, especially if you are now, listen, there's a lot of Sabres or Bills fans who don't give a shit about the Sabres at all. So all the Kim and Terry stuff, in Buffalo Bills fans' minds, these guys are perfectly fine owners, you know? But if you like both teams, you get what I'm saying here. You got to be, like, thankful that Sean McDermott's the head coach of this football team right now, ain't it? Yeah, and I think maybe they don't meddle as much, the Pagos, because they have a proven track record that they can get the job done that they want to get done. And, and, but, and yeah. Sean McDermott will tell them to go fuck themselves. He, he just looks it like that It seems that, that way, right? <laughs> you ever, it seems like... You see somebody, here we go. Here's a good uh, comparison. So my wife and I, we talk about it all the time. Like go back to, to WWE. When Stephanie McMahon's on TV, we think about like being her kid and not wanting to piss her off because of her voice and how like scary she could be. And I kind of feel like that with Sean McDermott from like, I don't want to ever would never want to piss him off or be on his bad side because I, he would terrify me. He looks like he would terrify me. 
And maybe <laughs> that's the way you get the job done as an NFL coach. But to for him, no one seems to rem- – I mean, people still bring it up on Twitter because people love living in the past. But no one seems to really remember the whole Nate Peterman, Tyrod Taylor benching fiasco with the San Diego game and, and all that, or the L.A. Rams game, or Chargers. LA, LA shouldn't have football teams. Let's put it that way. Uh, but no one seems to remember that because of what's happened since. They've made the playoffs twice. They, all intents and purposes, should have won in Houston. I don't want to get into that because I cringe every time I think of how that just unraveled in every single way. But this is a coach and this is a GM that agree with each other, seem to be on the same, uh, on the same mindset, wavelength with everything. Granted, uh, McDermott had a say, whether anybody admits it or not, had a say in bringing in Bean as the GM. But he just seems to, no matter what player comes in his roster, they just buy into it immediately. The, they drink, they take that sip of Kool-Aid, and they're ready to go. And even getting something out of Shaq Lawson last year, granted it was a contract year, but getting something out of him for Frazier, Frazier should have got a head coaching job this year just because of that. But Frazier and and McDermott getting what they can get out of players who you don't expect anything from, like Jordan Phillips, is impressive. And it's something we haven't seen. And it's hard to not drink that Kool-Aid of the Bills right now. It is very hard. Last question here, and I'm going to let you go. Because of the job that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done with the Buffalo Bills and the stability that those two have brought, do you think that maybe that might make Terry and Kim a little trigger figure happy when it comes to the Sabres so desperate to try to find that right person? Like, say right now, I mean, they're going through GMs and coaches like water. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is this? Like, I don't even know what four GMs now in nine years. I don't know how many freaking head coaches. Kevin Adams, the first time head coach, you kind of alluded to this. They're hoping that he'll be the next Brandon Bean. But do you think that maybe the success of the Bills has a little something to do with the the fact that the Sabres are switching things up as often as they are because Terry and Kim are so desperate to get the uh, you know, the right people? Or, and this is how we'll end this too, or do you think that Terry and Kim are just, you know, ruining the Sabres and they got lucky with the Bills and it's just a matter of time before that kind of turns around. Because if you remember back to the summer, or not the summer, I'm sorry, to spring, Tim Graham and John Vogel had a really telling article in The Athletic about the Bagulas. And they talked about some pretty trusted bill sources that said they were concerned about that happening with the bills. Like, which way do you look at that? I honestly, those sources concerned with the bills, I think they always just, before I get into answering the actual question, I think they just have that because they see it happening. I don't think there's any worry with the Bills unless things fall off the rails and they start going 2-14, and 14, which the only way I think something like that happens is if they get hit by if Allen, Diggs, Brown, Beasley, and their entire defense goes down. Um, but I don't I, – I could honestly see because I truly think somewhere in me thinks that the Pugulas do want to win. They oh, yeah. want the Sabres to be good. Like they wouldn't be in this – they dumped the team yesterday. If they were like, we're done, we're just done. They want it. And you talk about seeing the bills and dumping Ted black, former president of the Sabres years ago, once said that it's not like 
playing on Xbox. Can't just make move after move after move and expect it to work. And I think that's how the Pagoulas are treating this. They're treating the Sabres at this point like a video game, hoping that they'll bring in that one move that gets their team really good if they simulate everything. And it's kind of making me feel that they want to win, but they're at this point, they're trying to luck into it. They're hoping that one little move in the front office will, will change everything for the better. That GM will bring in new, co- new scouts, new coaches, whatever, new development, whatever it may be, and they'll get McBean 2.0 with what they have. Or maybe they believe in what Kruger wants to do so much that they're going to let have him have a say in all of the scouts um, because of Kruger's history, which I'm not totally against. I, I trust Kruger. I, I like what he does. So I think the Sabres will be in good shape with him. But yeah, it, it feels like they're playing video game, uh, video game management simulator right now at this point. Well, I'll leave it to you to end this with a, a video game reference. <laughs> of course you would do that. But no, Got a ser- circle. <laughs> but seriously, I, I agree with you. If there's one thing I think everyone agrees on, it's, it's not like they're not like the owner from the movie Major League. They're not trying to tank so they can move the team to Florida. They do want to win. They're just doing a really that we know of that we know of. They're just doing a really. <laughs> they might. Yeah, they're doing just doing a really piss poor job of it. Hopefully, things will get turned around. We'll see. Anyway, everyone out there, give Mike a follow on Twitter at Mike Straw Media. If you're into gaming, make sure you check out SportsGamersOnline.com. Pretty cool site. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Fun first time doing it. I'm definitely gonna have you back out for more. Yeah, it was a blast. I'm shocked. I mean, I rambled a little bit, but I'm shocked I didn't ramble as much as I did, Pat. I appreciate it. All right, good people. That is going to do it for today's show. Very solid debut. Mike Straw. Look forward to having more Five Topic Friday segments with him in the future. Thanks again, Mike. Also want to thank today's show supporters. 26 shirts, audio mute, and sounds assured. Coming up on the podcast next week, a two-parter, Jay Skirsky, beat writer for the Buffalo Bills at the Buffalo News is going to be my guest. He's going to be on next Tuesday and Friday, and it's all about the state of the Buffalo Bills. We're going to go through each position on the team, talk about pretty much every player, tons of insight for Jay, the highs, the lows, the expectations, everything about Buffalo Bills will be covered on this podcast with Jay Skursky next week. In the meantime, if you've not done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast right now. Rate and review, all that stuff. It only takes a handful of seconds to do and it really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast, YouTube channel, I have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there, as well as some original audio content that'll be coming your way soon. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I say it each and every week because it's true. If you want to get a hold of me, that's probably the best and quickest way to find me. Don't email me. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't send me snail mail, any of that stuff. Find me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. That's where I'm always parked. Thank you so much for listening. I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I really do. Have fun. Stay safe. Take care of each other. Have a good weekend. I'll be back. Jay Skursky next Tuesday and next Friday.
I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.